Welcome to Bosses with Baggage. I'm Sherry Sutton, your host and business growth guide. Around here, we believe that failures are our superpowers. So in this podcast, we'll explore the many ways that setbacks can mold, shape, and change your life and your business and ensure that you come out of the fire better than before. Through interviews with business leaders and discussions of my own personal struggles, we'll unlock the secrets to turning setbacks and low moments into opportunities to thrive. From approaching your business with a servant's heart to getting comfortable with being the face of your brand, each episode will be a safe, judgment-free zone to reframe the concept of failure with honesty, empathy, grace, and a whole lot of laughter. So are you ready? Let's go. Namaste, my friends. My name is Sherry Sutton, and I am your marketing mentor and the host of Bosses with Baggage. Welcome to today's episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. I am here with the amazing Lulu. Say hello, Lulu. Hi, everyone. Hi, Sherry. So excited to have you. Um, tell us where in the world you're joining us from and a little bit about what you do. Yes, I am in the DFW area um, and I am licensed as a therapist and I primarily use uh, holistic and somatic. So somatic just means of the body methods in my healing, uh, including Reiki, vibrational sound healing, um, therapeutic yoga, somatic experiencing, breath work and things like that. A lot of experiential activities um, because consciousness and trauma and healing really should be an embodied process. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I'm so excited to, to learn more about it. So we've known each other for a long time. So but I've never really heard your story. I've never heard your story about, you know, your your dark night of the soul. We are friends from yoga and um, kind of our woo woo kind of circles. Uh, and so I know of you and of your work, but I haven't really heard about your dark night of the soul. So it's bosses with baggage. So we just dive right into the baggage. <laughs> so tell us what it was like, kind of what happened, what led to this dark night of the soul? Yeah. Um, I always like to, to start off, you know, um, that it was really my experience and my journey with addiction that led to this kind of awakening, you know, and I like to frame it that, um, you know, universally, like a core part of addiction is uh, it being unbearable to be present in our life. Right. Um, and that, that drugs and alcohol or whatever addictions, I mean, nowadays, you know, um, there's social media, there's shopping, whatever it is. It's like, what is it that's so bad that, that I can't be present in my life. Right. And so this is really a universal issue. Like people don't need addiction to experience this conundrum. Um, but so I kind of like to frame it like that. So, um, I, I always knew that. Yeah. Know, and I think that yeah. we all have. Oh, I was just gonna say we're all we're all just maladjusted to life, right? As somebody who's also in addiction recovery, right? It's it's we're just we just we don't know how to deal with the world. And instead of figuring out how to deal with it, we just escape, right? We just that's right. our that's our coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is is not not having the information. I think now is when we kind of go on in this podcast, um, that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because it's it's really we didn't have the information of 
how to heal, what healing means, um, what emotions are, what do we do with them? Because um, I think once we understand this framework of life, how our nervous systems and emotions and everything come together, then it's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm missing. So tell us a little bit more, what kind of a, what kind of addiction did you struggle with? When did it start? Walk us through that journey. Yeah. Um, at my worst, I was an IV meth, heroin and cocaine user. Right? And that's sort of the main things and people in addiction. There's that saying, um, I'm a, I'm a, what you got user, right? <laughs> it's like, what, what do you have? Um, but, but that really was what IV drug uses was really what took me out. Um, and and so I always think again with this concept of pain, like where, what where areas that I feel disconnected from my truest expression is is what I what I like, um, and it really starts in childhood. You know, um, I was born in Taiwan and came when I was very young, and right away there were lots of cultural differences, and I was the first one to learn English in my family, and. Um, you know, just lots of experiences where I noticed that I was different and, and somehow didn't fit in. Right. And so I developed this kind of tough shell and, um, and it's kind of strange because my instinctual response of sort of suppressing everything, uh, was, became my superpower. Right. It's like somehow if I could control my reaction, then pretend I'm not affected. So how cool is that to learn at age six, but not really. Right. <laughs> so um right you it cuts you off to all the good in the world but it's a great coping mechanism right it's a good superpower yeah exactly totally you know um and i i don't know so this is funny because so for example right there was, i remember this assignment and someone the teacher was like okay well we're gonna write about um what your main character, right? And in the assignment, I want you to paint a picture of how this character, blah, 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 right? So then the next day I come in with my awesome painting because she says, paint a picture. And everyone's like, what is your assignment? I'm like, here it is, right? And so just things like that, just not understanding the language and clothes from Taiwan look a little bit different. Like everything's just a little bit different, right? So it's like, okay, I'm not, I don't fit in here. Something is different about me. And I really think that that's kind of where it started, you know, like culturally, um, you know, uh, values are also very different. Like they in, in Chinese culture, we, we very much value harmony, kind of saving face. So you don't really want to cause a scene, right? It's a very collective society. So it's like, okay, like, don't embarrass people. Don't embarrass yourself. Like, respect kind of the collective. Um, and so again, what that felt like was a lot more suppression, right? So I, I quickly learned how to just handle things on my own. And um, my parents were also very, what they call tiger parents. So just very high expectations. A lot of, um, I don't even, I don't even like to call it abuse. I mean, I guess in America language, it's, it might be abusive, but I also think that a lot of us that have grown up in, you know, that era yeah, like you get smacked when you do stuff, right? You just, you know, so that's another topic that we can talk about. Um, so this need to excel, right? Prove oneself. I was a classical pianist when I was younger. And so I did a lot of competitions and a lot of um, social things. Like we would be in a group and my and my parents would say, oh, look, there's a piano. Would you go and, and play or sing? 
for the people, right? And so, yay, all is fine. But how that felt like for me is that like at any given moment, like I was going to be unprepared, right? I was going to be judged. I was going to be criticized. So there was this fear that's in my body. And we'll kind of get to that later, like how it affects us. Because our nervous systems are actually primed when we're younger, right? And so my nervous system was like, oh, I'm I'm going to have to, I need to be prepared at all times. I, I can't just like chill out because I might have to perform, right? I'm about to go on a competition. <laughs> and performance is scary and an opportunity to be judged negatively. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, and then coming, um, coming to the States, right. They, they had to start their business. So I feel like I always joke, like I had my first existential crisis when I was like five, right? Like I was like a latchkey kid, you know, and I clearly remember just being at home after school and then it's getting dark and, you know, like where are my parents? Like going out into the driveway, looking up in the sky. As an adult, you're like, okay, but as a child, it is terrified, right? To like not know what's going to happen and it's getting dark, you know? And um, they would come home and then just get so mad at me because I had all the lights on and I was wasting electricity, right? So that's kind of that. Um, yeah, you know, and, or, or like we would go to friend's house and, you know, my parents knew that, hey, I would be safe um, because we were at a friend's house. But they were one of those parents that kind of just like sneak out that don't say bye, right? Because they don't want to cause a scene, which of course, in my nervous systems, I'm like, unreliability, like, where are my parents? And, you know, what's going to happen with me, right? So it's just this misattunement, right? That it's a, it's a huge thing I talk to parents about is like, we, we can't parent the child from our perspective, you have to parent them in a way from their perspective, while holding your own perspective, right? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, I'm kind of digressing here, but um, parents, you know, when 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 you're when you have a toddler and um, you want them to put on their jacket, you say, "Do you want to put it on, or do you want me to put it on?" Right. So, kind of giving them choices. Um, so, yeah, things like that. But so, in a nutshell, my childhood was I I ex exposed the world fast and just always felt like I I didn't fit in, which kind of will lead into the story of addiction. So, yeah. And I think that's a yeah. common thread of, you know, people that are in addiction, including me, right? Like I always, and I still do, like I always felt like I just didn't fit in. Like I always felt like I had three eyes or there was something yeah. just off about me. And, and I, I really have not gotten over that. I've accepted that it's just part of my immune system. And now I see it as one of my greatest superpowers because I can, I can understand that so many other people feel like that. And I'm able to say like, okay, let's be misfits together. Like right. we're, we're cool. We're okay. Right. We're right. okay. It's together. Um, but that's a, that was a huge part of my addiction story too, is I just never really felt comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. I was more adjusted to life and more centered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So it was, you know, I was sent. So then how did yeah. that sense of like not fitting in and fear move into the addiction? Yeah, so I was sent to boarding school um, for high school because they're like, 
you know, and, I, and, and so I was always one that really got good grades. I had this idea that like, Hey, like, as long as like my grades were good, I could just do whatever I want. Right. Um, and so I don't think anybody ever picks up their first drink drug or whatever and, and says, Oh yeah, I'm going to go down this road of addiction. Right. I mean, I don't know about you. Like it's, it's, it's fun at first. Right. So in, in uh, boarding school and high school and in college, it was fun. Right. It was cool. Like, just smoking marijuana all the time, like dropping acid, drinking, like it's fun. Like I just get my work done and I go party and it's, and it's cool. Right. And, and I think in college I started dealing drugs. And so like when you deal drugs, like you're like the coolest person on the planet because you get in everywhere. <laughs> so this is cool. And I'm like, Oh, right. Like I'm, I'm having some meaning in life. <laughs> right. Like I'm fitting in people, people are, are diving with me. Right. And we're having fun. Right. And so, you know, it's all, it's all good. And then, and then when you start to do drugs then you start to hang out with different types of people and, and you start to get harder drugs, right. Then it's like the marijuana starts to turn into a little cocaine and you're like, okay, like this is still fun. There's this, there's this point of manageability until there's not manageability. And that line is so fine. Right. Cocaine turns into to crack. Okay. Like, I guess this is fine. And then crack, the people kind of like, well, I have heroin. And you're like, oh. So that's kind of how it happened. Like throughout college and um, even after college, it was just trying different drugs. And it was just one step by one step, right? Just one step at a time, right? One degree at a time, you know? And I always felt like in my brain at that time, like drugs, um, and emotions were very separate. I sort of didn't link them because I had gone to therapy. They kind of made me go to therapy in high school because I got, you know, I was smoking. They didn't want to expel me or anything. And so um, they made me go to therapy. And I was like, look, I have an emotional regulation problem. I'm using drugs. Like I clearly knew this in my head, right? But so just help me with my emotions and then I'll stop doing the drugs. Like, you know. So what, what always happened was like, I would want to kill myself, right? So I've tried to kill myself seven, seven times and I've actually died three times, you know, and had to be revived. So yeah, that's crazy, right? So it's like the drugs I always knew was, was coping. Um, and so the first time I got sober, I was in my twenties um, and this was after college. I actually got I got uh, put on medical leave from my first college um, and and they wouldn't kind of let me back because I tried to kill myself. They're like, yo, you got to like do something. I'm like, I have straight A's. How can you say that? Like, I'm not doing well. They're like, no, emotionally, this is an issue. I'm like, but I have straight A's. Like, <laughs> right. So it was like my first wake up of like, that's all that matters. I am achieving. <laughs> right? Like I might I'm be doing, a mess, but I'm making <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing what you want me to do. Like, yeah, this little blip, you know? And so I was like, okay. So then I, I couldn't go back to that school. I tried to re-interview plenty of times, and I ended up finishing at a different college. But, you know, that was sort of like my justification, right? It's like, I'm doing so well. So this emotional stuff, it's, it was sort of this, like, missing link, like, like, why do you guys, what are you guys even saying? I'm doing what you want me to do. And that's kind of like how I was, I grew up, right? Like, just, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm doing what you want me to do. You know, oh, what's this whole thing about emotions, right? 
And so, so, you know, the first time I got sober, I was like, I was 24. I think I was 24. It was, it was after um, a suicide attempt. Right. And I'm not one of those people that um, will call you when I'm about to like do something and say, I'm so depressed. I will, I will go in a field. Like, I don't, I just don't want anybody around. Right. But there's a lot of, been a lot of divine intervention in my life. And like, someone has always found me. Right. That one time it was like, I remember hanging hanging myself one time on a board in my deck and that night and that this is like after like doing so many drugs like that night my coworker happened to come to my house cuz she wanted to bring me something like how weird right <laughs> like is that and then the board had broke so she like finds me right and I'm like thanks but F you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, okay, so that's that, right? But yeah, so it was always like the um, the suicide attempts that that kind of brought me to like, okay, like, is there another way? Because clearly, I'm not being successful at dying, you know. Um, yeah, <laughs> the one place I'm not successful. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And later on, actually, when, when this happened, like I was I, the message and okay, I'll get to that later. But um, so, yeah. So the first time I got sober, I was like 24. And so something happened then. And I, I don't even really remember what happened. Like, I don't know if you talk to a lot of people in addiction or even your story. But like when I look back, it's like there's no reason like it's divine intervention. Right. That for some reason, one day I just made these different choices because I have been trying to get sober, clean, like all the time. Right. So 24 years old, okay, I come out of the psych ward again. And I'm like, all right, like, let's get my shit together, right? And so somehow I did. I, I feel like I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a lot of meditation. And then the next year after I had my children, and so there was 10 years, maybe 11 or 12 years, actually, that I was clean and sober, right? So I've clean and sober. I have been just doing my meditation, doing my working out. I have four children, okay, and I clearly remember when my last child was one years old, there was this thought as if it was like some foreign thing that comes into my head. It was like, oh, man, I wish I had some heroin. And I was like, what's happening? Like, where did that come from? Right? So I had postpartum depression, like for all my children, like it was really hard, you know, to have be depressed and to have a lot of kids. And then my back got jacked up. I wanted the pregnancy. So it was always just, you know, kind of pinching. And I, I'm like, this is probably where this thought came from because I was just so in so much physical pain, right? And um, I remember thinking, like, well, I'm not doing that. Like, so you know what I did it, with four children is I decided to get legally addicted, right? I was working at the pharmacy at that time. And um, I was like, well, maybe I'll just go to the doctor and get some painkillers. And this is why addiction is so tricky. Because it's really centers in our mind, right? It's like this, well, I'm not going to be an IV drug user. Like, I'm just going to go to the doctor, get some pain medications. So then I, and I was working at the pharmacy. I knew which doctors prescribed leniently. So I did that, went to the doctor. Oh, it wasn't enough. I need more. And by the time I was legally addicted, and I was like, I'm kind of tired. Maybe I need some Adderall because that's what people take when they kind of need to focus, right? I mean, hey, I've got four children and I'm overwhelmed, you know? I, de I deserve 
to be functioning. Get my pain settled, get my attention settled. And I became illegally addicted to that. Well, you know what? I have a lot of anxiety. I think some benzos would help, you know? And here it goes in a totally different form. And as you know, it's not the drug because it can manifest in unmanageability in so many ways, right? And then, of course, all that never became enough. And then um, I ended up back within just a year of like injecting drugs again, right? And so this time I had four children, right? And a, and a life. <laughs> and so that was really like the point where, you know, it started to get really bad because again, I thought I could manage it all, but I would just like be asleep in the kitchen. I wouldn't be falling asleep when my children were trying to show me their school assignments, right? Mommy's tired. Okay, mommy's tired. Right. And then children, it's like, that's like the worst. And not only do I have an emotional issue, my nervous system is jacked. My relationships are jacked because everything affects everything else. I'm not parenting the way that I want to be parent parenting brings up my own stuff about how I was parented more shame. And, you know, shame is this never ending, like beat down cycle. Right. And so when I finally got sober, it was because my Again, I thought I would just take my life. I wrote this long letter. It's like, it, it, bro, it brings me to tears. Like, like you deserve a better mom. Like, I just can't do it. Right. And so my kids actually watched me code. I had tried to kill myself. And there was a, um, like a, you know, Kurt, I don't know, somebody found me in my car and called um, my ex-husband at that time, my husband at the time. And they brought me back to the house and um, they, when they, they put me on the couch and then the, the, the last thing I said before I like went, ee, was like, can you guys take off your shoes before you come in the house? Right? I told this to the paramedic people. They're like, no, ma'am. I was like, well, don't you have those booties you can wear? And then ee, and I'm like, that, that's my soul. All right. <laughs> that's my personality. But my kid, it was breakfast time because I did this in the middle of the night and my kids were just like sitting there eating breakfast, right? And imagine like how that feels for me, right? To know that they have this somewhere in their body. I mean, they were little, but, you know, they have this somewhere in their body. And so I spent the next probably eight months in and out of treatment because I would go into treatment. Everything's fine. I'd come back to life. And look, anybody that has four children, like it's tough. It's tough. There's a lot of stuff going on, especially if like emotionally, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. And, and, um, so it's really tough. Right. So I was in and out of treatment for a long time. And I remember that last time that I tried to take my life, it was this divine message that was like, look, you are not going to die. Like you are meant to be here. Right. And, and somehow in that moment, I just knew it. I'm like, I remember saying to myself, like, oh, fine right? Like, fine. It's like, I heard this message of like, you got to do this. You know, you're meant to be here. And my personality was like, fine. (laughs) Right? Like, okay, fine. (laughs) And that's kind of how it started. I get messages like that from the universe all the time. And I'm like, really? Really? Oh, I know. Fine. I think I told you, like, I'm about to start my doctorate. And that was one of those things that kept coming in. And I was like, why? 
But I kept trying to confirm with like psychics and mediums. I'm like, am I meant to? They're like, oh yeah, you're good. I'm like, oh, my soul must have been really ambitious. Huh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I want to watch Netflix. Right. On. There's a new yeah. episode. There's a new season of Lincoln Lawyer. I can't get a PhD. Right. I know I feel like that all the time. But then you do it and it's and it's spectacular. You know, this this podcast was a divine download was like mm. these stories are out there and one of the reasons why people don't show up in their business is they feel so much shame and they feel so weird and they feel awkward and dorky and let's have people just talk about how they feel awkward and dorky and they have addiction yeah. and they have all this baggage but there's still they have this divine calling to do something that mm. is ultimately higher and more important than feeling dorky right and yeah. let's all just talk about that and right. how do we get centered with that and use that as the motivator for our lives yeah yeah for sure you know and you know I, I wrote an article for I think uh, Dallas Voyage or they did an interview and you know I always that why this is why I like to talk about addiction as far as pain right and kind of make it relatable because we all have pain and suffering and we all have moments that we don't want to be present in our life like what is happening you know and so that really is about an emotional nature it's about our nervous system and how that manifests is addiction how it manifests is like relationships that are abusive right or or, or there's something happening um I mean, how you parent your mother, your, I mean, sorry, how you mother, right? Your relationships with people, because it affects everything. Our nervous systems and emotions affect everything that we do, you know? Um, so, yeah, I've had a lot of that in my life, right? Just, um, you know, going through um, the whole mental health system. And I was, used to be on what, like 13 different medications, you know, I've had diagnoses of everything. And there was always a part of me that's like, there's something that's missing, right? Like something is missing here. It's like, you're just looking at me through these lens, this medical lens of pathology, like something's missing here, right? And that was what it was like at the end. Um, you know, when I went to treatment, I, I think I went to, in a period of like eight months, went to like five different treatment centers because I just couldn't do life. I was so scared until the last treatment center was like, I think you're uh, evading, like you're avoiding your life. I'm like, I think I am, <laughs> you know, I really am. So, but yeah. And then when I came back, it was like, um, so how do you get from that place? Yeah. Yeah. When I came back, it, like I said, it's divine intervention. Like for some reason, um, I think I, I came back in, in a, in a July and I didn't actually officially get sober until that October so there was still a couple months where it was like this on and off on and off but like I but recovery you know when your body is older is so different like and especially if you're doing a lot of like hard drugs like it took me about a month to like really be able to get up and walk you know like I was in so much pain right it didn't you know anyone who detoxes from those drugs it's really difficult it's it's so difficult. Like you feel like you're in chronic pain all the time. Your brain is telling you crazy stories. It's hell. And a lot of times people in that state is what keeps them from recovering because the kids just can't get through the detox. It's really miserable, you know? Um, but I just went into some different recovery programs and um, it really is just a day at a time. Like I, I don't know 
exactly what it was. I think it was a collection of everything. I, I do remember feeling like, you know, um, being so being in a part of a fellowship is really important, like community, like what whether people go to AA or they go to some celebrate recovery or they get involved in their church or just something where you can feel like you're a part of something, right? Because I remember feeling like I, I was so low and yet there were all these people surrounding me that loved me. I remember saying like, like, stop loving me. Like, why are you loving me? Like, I keep like screwing up and, you know, I'm like in and out, in and out. And, and yet there was all this support, right? And I just needed that compassion. I needed to be, learn how to be loved, right? Again, this addiction is about emotional pain right about someone being there for me you know when I like didn't want to be there for myself right it was like this this portal this addiction was this portal that allowed me to wake up you know to sort of what I call my my divine essence <laughs> my purpose yeah um and then it was a path of like a lot of self-healing were you going to say something oh I was just, just going to ask, how did that, how did that lead you to now doing all this healing work? Cause you went from that to, I mean, now you just are such the embodiment of a healer and that's yeah, such a journey. Like that part of the journey is so fascinating to me. Yeah. So I guess it just started with you doing that work yourself, right? Right, exactly. Like I, so that those 10, 10, 12 years that I was clean and sober, like uh, there was a meditation center, like right down the street from um, where I lived. And so I remember going there all the time, but it was one of those kind of like hard school meditation centers where it's like, you go in and there is this like monk there and, and he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't coddle anybody. You ask a question. He's like, ha, you're in your mind again, too much thinking. And then he'd go to the next person. You're like, dang, like, so people actually felt really insulted. I was like, this is kind of interesting. Like what's happening right now? So like whenever something like crazy happens, like I, I think I have a lot of curiosity about it. So, so yeah, a lot of meditation and, but I don't think I realized I was doing that for those 10 years. Right. So I didn't know how to redo it when I started feeling crazy again, but, but yeah, it's a lot of, you know, my own, healing journey right I remember a friend saying wow you're such a yogi and I was like yogi like I can't touch my toes like I don't know what you're talking about and so again like I've always had this love for learning and I was like well let me just try it and I'll take a teacher training and I was like oh wow I didn't know yoga was this whole philosophy like this life life philosophy and um you know breath work I went on some healing retreat and and they did this and I was like whoa like what is this this thing, right? So really, you know, I think anytime we go through suffering and probably like a lot of the business people, like you don't want people to go through the things that you've been through, right? You, you want to kind of save them a little bit of time. Yes, we need some suffering to give us perspective, but like not this like when it becomes repetitive, right? And so really like part of this healing journey is like, the people out there that like feel like you are hopeless, helpless, don't understand what's happening, like those are the people that I that I really want to reach, right? Like I don't want you to have to not go through life not understanding like why you're pathologized by therapists. Like how you cannot out, you know, talk your way out of emotions, right? And and one one thing that I don't feel like it's just come coming about in the last like couple of years, but well, 
in America. <laughs> I guess the, the Eastern philosophies have known this for centuries, but that like our bodies need to be linked. Thousands of years, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Like our minds and our bodies need to be interconnected, right? I think in the Western world, like we, we try to outthink everything, right? We kind of rationalize everything. But consciousness is embodied. Like we need to get into the body. We need to like understand our nervous systems, you know? And, and I think that's what something that I didn't um, know. And I, I do work part-time at a, a treatment center. And when you're in treatment, like you don't feel good. Like you can't like go mental, all try to plan your stuff. You need to learn how to be comfortable in your body. I mean, it's a common saying in recovery. It's like, I'm uncomfortable in my skin, restless, irritable, discontent, right? Like that's how you feel. You don't want to be in the world because you just spent years numbing yourself. So we need to start to build resource in our bodies. And this isn't just with people in addiction. This is everybody. Like we're very strongly mental thinking, cognitive society right now. And it's killing us. Like our thinking, right, is so powerful, but we're not using it properly. Right. It's, it's killing us. So a lot of it is just really wanting to educate people. Right. I don't think it's, it's just really about education, you know, giving people the tools that they need to be successful in their life. And, um, and I love it. I love it because, you know, I mean, I don't know how many times like this lady I just saw last week, she goes, wow, like, I think you just saved my life. So it is like when it clicks, it clicks for people. Because believe it or not, everyone inside already knows how, how, how to heal, how to connect with their essence, right? They just, they just kind of need a little bit of help, you know? So I love that I get to do that, you know? And, and I love that I've also experienced it, right? I've experienced, I'm not saying that the therapist that people have to see or their coach needs to be able to, needs to have, have all the experience, but there's a saying that people can only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves, right? And so I can tell you for sure that I know what it's like to experience this whole plethora of emotions that people go through. And, and like, I'm not scared of it. Like I can sit there with you in it. And most of the time people just want to know that like how they're feeling is okay. Right. That they don't have the third eyeball, that there's another one with the third eyeball. We can have three eyes together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just think it's so beautiful that you, you know, you, you are such a great example of this idea of bosses with baggage that like, we have this dark night of the soul and we turn it as a way to help other people who are, mm -hmm. you know, suffering in the same way we did. And you've created a whole life around that, but also a whole business around that. Right. And it really has changed the way that you show up. Like I've kind of watched you go through this journey. Right. I think I, we were going to yoga together when you first started doing, yeah. you know, your first yoga teachers training. And so it's been really interesting and fun to watch you like not only just learn these things, but to embody them and then to really focus on a mission of passing them on. Um, and I think that yeah. that's, so cool and so inspirational mm -hmm. to everybody, yeah. including me, but I'm hoping also to our listeners. So thank you I mean, so I much do, for sharing I today. Do. You're Can welcome. You... Yeah. Oh, God. I was, was going to say, I do really believe that everyone has this innate capacity to heal and transform. I really do. It's not anything. Everybody has it and they just need to be shown. 
Go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, if people want to reach out to you and learn a little bit more, maybe work with you, how do they find you? Yeah. On Instagram, um, it's infinite period, heart period healing, infinite heart healing. Um, and it will be infinitehearthealing.net. My assistant is revamping my whole website. So that's probably the best way to reach me for sure. I would love it. I would love it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I know that so many people are leaving this podcast feeling more inspired and we appreciate you sharing your story. Mwah. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Bosses with Baggage. We are honored that you chose to spend your precious time with us. I hope that you are feeling inspired to reframe your setbacks into your superpowers so that you can change not only your life, but the life of everyone around you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, and I sure hope you did, please subscribe, rate, and share on your favorite podcast listener. And if you have any ideas for a future guest or you need some help growing your business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find me directly on my website, which is SherrySutton.com, S-H-E-R-R-Y-S-U-T-T-O-N.com. We'll see you next time.